0: Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations, so be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everybody, and thanks for joining me again today on this beautiful day where spring has sprung, and we're all ready for that, aren't we? My guest today is Deborah Gull, and she is an award-winning author. Her friends call her Debbie and so will I. Welcome to the show, <laughs> Debbie.
1: Well, thank you, Marcia, and thanks for having me. What fun.
0: What fun. And I, you know, I, I love the opportunity to have a great conversation every week with such outstanding people, you being one of them. And there's so much that we're gonna talk about. I'm I'm really I'm just delighted to have you join me. And I thought well, we could start you. off You're welcome. So I thought we could start off by having you just tell tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Sure, so um, I don't know why I feel like I want to say this, but it's because it's so celebratory, and it's on my mind, so I'm going to get it off my mind, but we sure. had a new grandbaby born on Saturday, and she just <gasps> came home from the hospital, so if I seem a little bit, you know, jumpy, it's because that's exciting and kind of going on in my uh, periphery, so, <laughs> so that's all Congratulations. fun. Congratulations! Um, Congratulations! Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, it's a lovely thing. But um, in, in any event, um, I am a, a former business person. Well, I can start before that. I, I, at in my youth, I was someone who loved theater. I loved theater. I loved acting, and life took a different turn. I ended up taking over the family business, and that um, launched me into a, a corporate environment because. The business was bought by a large corporation, and I ran a subsidiary for that corporation. And then about, oh gosh, uh, it's been a while, probably like 20 years ago, I decided I needed to get back into creativity. I really missed story. I missed acting, and, you know, how would I accomplish kind of getting exposed again in that world? And so, um, I started taking novel writing courses, uh, just thinking that maybe that could possibly be a substitute. I wasn't going to pound the pavement in L.A., or I didn't want to leave my husband every night to do community theater. So I started taking novel writing courses, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I couldn't believe how exciting it was for me uh, to create imaginary people and commune with them and feel that emotional resonance. It felt just like acting. So um, that's what I've been doing.
0: Where did, how did, I, I, my daughter also thought about writing at one point and she was also a theater major in college and she's in construction now, but that's a side note.
1: Well, how funny is that because I was in, I was a sub, Worked for a company that was a subcontractor in construction. So there you go. Apparently, theater is really good for construction. That's what I'm learning here.
0: Do you want to know why? As the <laughs> mom of a kid like of that, it's just another platform of of um, performing. And by performing, I mean thinking, speaking, being on a stage, and being creative, and yet having that other. Mindset of logic and construction. It's it's an interesting combination in the brain, yeah. and I, I think yeah. that's that's really interesting. I wanted to ask you. So you mentioned that you took novel writing courses. Did you do that in a, at a university? Did you do it online? How? Did, where did you I, do that?
1: Well, I, you know, it was a combination of things. I took courses at UCI, um, you know, University of California in Irvine. Um, I found uh, a mentor, a couple of mentors from that experience, and so I joined writing groups and continued to work uh, with a couple of mentors. And um, I've been in writing groups, you know, for at least 20 years. Uh, also, you know, for, for anybody that wants to write. Also attending writing conferences is a phenomenal way to learn a lot about writing. There's great courses and workshops in that environment. Mm. So I've just kind of continually done, um, you know, both university courses and courses online or wherever I could get them.
0: Nice. Well, you've written two books, um, and we're going to be talking about those books. The Dream Stitcher was released in 2018, and most right. recently, Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints was just this past year. And in thinking about the word dream, and you kind of referred to this just a little bit, but I thought maybe you could expand on this a little bit. Did you always have a dream of being an author?
1: You know, I, I didn't when I was young. I, I had a dream of being an actor and i saw myself as an actor and i loved plays dearly um as long you know from from a very young age and my mother had been uh, an actor back in the day uh, she had been in a repertory company up in new york for a very short period of time in fact my grandfather or at least the story goes that my grandfather went to new york and dragged her by the hair back to st louis mm-hmm. no daughter of mine is going to be an actor so, um, I grew up with, with a mother who had this desire, uh, for, I think, for her children to be actors. So she was always putting on a play and I was always in them. And when I wasn't in a play, I was reading plays and I loved learning dialogue. And so I think I just had a feel for story and a, and a feel for dialogue. So that was really my dream. But, um, you know t- life takes a different turn and because i couldn't i didn't pursue that i couldn't pursue that but i could pursue creativity in in you know some later years i it just did not feel right for me or there wasn't a right avenue for me to pursue acting it seemed kind of at that point it was it was a silly pursuit for me so when i started to write and realized, oh, my God, it's the same thing. I am emoting with these imaginary people, and I'm feeling what they feel. And all I had to do, the only difference was to take that emotion and stick it on the page, just translate and write down what I was seeing in my mind and what I was feeling in my heart. And, you know, more than anything, when somebody reads a book, um, they're picking up on an energy. There's an energy that the writer the writer has left on the page, and there's a motion that's on the page, and that's that's what I'm trying to do. And that's um, so it's become even though it wasn't a childhood dream, my translation of my acting dream became my reality as a writer. And um, you know, it's just for me, I don't feel like it's any different.
0: That's so interesting. I mean, you know what? That really, when you say it like that and you explain it like that, it makes total sense to me. That it's it's really just, and and that's why I I know that this is going to be such a fun show, because not only are you a writer, but if you're a writer, that means you're a storyteller. And your stories are about energy and emotion, and that you can feel it in your heart, because I believe you can see it there as well, right and, right, and and, and you know
1: in any in any art form, I think what you're trying to do is take the energy of the creation and stick it onto that piece of art which is which is very similar when when i when i was acting what you were trying to do was throw energy out to the audience you're creating energy you're throwing energy and emotion out to the audience and the audience is throwing it back to you that's the magic of live theater so there's an energy exchange so when i write i'm and i know it probably sounds really crazy but i'm a little bit out there I'm trying to put that energy onto the written page so that when somebody opens the book and reads it, they feel that energy. And that may sound a little woo-hoo, but that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Well, you know something? The first person, in my opinion, that needs to be satisfied is you and if you're feeling the energy i can assure you your readers are feeling the energy which explains a perfect segue into your award that you are an award winning author as i mentioned the 2019 indie reader discovery awards for Dream Stitcher. and yeah. i thought we could spend some time talking about that first book so Let's just talk about it. Tell us about tell us about your book. What what is it about and and, and that book and, and what inspired you to write it?
1: Yeah, so so the Dream Stitcher, um gosh, the Dream it, it sounds so funny because I haven't talked about it in a while. So the Dream Stitcher is a novel of love, war, mystery and deception. And it delves into the subjects of the Bayou Tapestry. The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising of 1943, and the Great Recession of 2008. And so it moves back and forth in time and tells the story of a young woman who comes of age. She has the ability to sow dreams into reality, and she uses those dreams to raise money for guns and help launch a rebellion. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bayeux Tapestry, but it's uh, it's the most iconic tapestry in the world. It tells the story of the um, Norman invasion into England or the Battle of Hastings in 1066. And legend has it that the um, tapestry was commissioned by the wife of um, William the Conqueror and as a way to memorialize his conquest. So Queen Matilda commissioned this tapestry, and so in my story, this young woman Golda is the reincarnation of Queen Matilda, and so she has come into this plane with the ability to sew dreams into reality. Um, it's a fun story. Uh, it does it combine subjects that might not seem like they connect, and yet they do. And um, so it's it's I've had. It's been a fun journey with it. It it won the N D Reader Award, as you mentioned, but it also uh was a finalist for the National Jewish Book Awards, which is kind of what um kind of propelled propelled the book out there. Um so that that book um was inspired by my mother's attempt, well it doesn't even attempt, she did it. My mother needlepointed a six-foot-wide by 14-foot-long replica of excerpts of the Bayeux Tapestry. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? It's 84 square feet of needlepoint. She fell in love with the Bayeux Tapestry, and she was always a needlework artist, and she wanted to make this recreation to put over a fireplace of a two-story high wall in a new home that my parents were building. And she couldn't find any kind of subject matter she wanted to use for this tapestry until she found the Bayou and um well, I'm kind of messing up the story she She took my father to New York to search for a tapestry. They found one that she loved and it was twenty five thousand dollars and this was <laughs> in nineteen sixty four and My father said, "Are you crazy i mean Today that's equivalent to, what, $200,000, something like that. So that wasn't going to happen. So she said, okay, if you won't buy it for me, I'll make one myself. And so she set, she set on this journey. It took her eight years. I never asked her in my youth why she wanted to make or wanted to recreate the Bayou. It was this, it's battle scenes. They're pictures of horses and dying and soldiers falling off the horses and swords and arrows, it's their battle scenes. But by the time I thought to ask my mother, she had Alzheimer's, and she could not tell me. And so I came up with this story, which was all the reasons why somebody might want to make this tapestry Maybe it was because you believed you were the reincarnation of Queen Matilda. Maybe it's because you thought you needed to save your country or your people. I just took these different um, motivations, and out of that came this plot that went back and forth in time. So that's the dream, Stitcher.
0: Wow. You know, I have to just say, we, you and I have had a couple of conversations prior to this broadcast. And it's remarkable, the crossovers. So let me ask you this question before I tell you why I am going to say the next thing. Can you needlepoint?
1: I can needlepoint, yes.
0: You can. Okay. Mm -hmm. The reason that I asked you is that my mother was very talented with her hands. In fact, when she was in high school, But now we're talking, you know, many, 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 obviously many, many years ago. She actually got her first job working for Rosemary Reed sewing bathing suits. That was a brand of bathing suits a million years ago. My mother could sew. My mother could knit. I got a D on my pillowcase in junior high school because I couldn't even sew a straight seam. All right? So there's how I wasn't like my mom. But no, Marcia, you,
1: you have no idea we are two peas in a pod. I flunked home ec. I couldn't stand it. Oh, I can only needlepoint. Okay. I can't do any other kind of sewing.
0: Well, here's the, so here's, here's the thing. When you talked about this needlepoint, if you were to stand in my house right now, I could walk you through the museum of all of my mother's needlepoints, which will live in legacy forever. Don't let my children dump those things. Uh-uh-uh. They, my mother did needlepoint. Honey, I couldn't uh, even thread a needle, let alone do needlepoint. So I'm just oh saying my like, gosh. that I under, when you talked about the size, I'm thinking to myself, my God, how long it, did she spend doing that?
1: Yeah, oh, wow. it took her eight. It took her eight years. It was an eight-year wow. journey. Yeah, wow. so that's really funny. Well, we have that in common. I really can't sew either, and I do know how to uh-huh. needlepoint, but I, it's been a it's been a while since I've had a chance to do it. But uh, yeah, I think women in that generation they all sewed. They were just very yeah. industrious. So.
0: Very, very. Yeah. So, and, all right. So that was book one, and congratulations once again. But then oh, that yeah. didn't stop you because then you moved <laughs> on to book two, and I'm going to yeah. say the name of this title properly accurately and successfully even <laughs> if i have to take a deep breath so here we go the name of that book is called synchronicities on the avenue of the saints am i right did i it correctly
1: synchronicities. excellent that
0: was
1: excellent <laughs> oh
0: my god i love that word oh my goodness i i you know i write a word of the day every day um on um, Facebook, and I, I'm going to have to look and see if I've ever used that word. Let alone know how to really spell it. Okay, so.
1: Well, yeah. So for a lot of people, they're they're hearing that word for the first time, and and trust me, I had many conversations with my editor about this word, and they, you know, she urged me, please don't use that title. No one will ever get this right. Don't use that <laughs> title. But you know, I just it's the name of the book. It's just the way it there you is. Go. Um, That's
0: right. So yes. what inspired you to write this book?
1: Yeah, so, okay. Well, truth be told, I actually drafted this book before I wrote The Dream Stitcher. So I did a lot of the editing of the book after The Dream Stitcher, but I wrote or or drafted or crafted the book uh, prior to that first novel that came out. And um, so... Uh, what inspired me to write that book okay so there's a a couple of things so so first of all it is it is a book that also has strands that go back and forth in time and there is uh, a family connection in that book and there's also um you know some some very modern uh parts of the story so um, it is a story of um well, would you like to hear the plot before I tell you why I wrote it, or should I tell you why I wrote it first? Because I know realize what? I'm not.
0: That's all right. I, I am okay. good with however whichever order you. Like <laughs> whichever to tell.
1: way it comes out, whichever way That's comes right. out. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a story of a young physicist who's coming of age and on the brink of discovery, and he's been on a drug most of his life. Uh, that was developed by his mother, who runs a pharmaceutical company, and she develops a drug for him to control his bipolar disorder because there was no drug that worked for children when he first goes on this. So when the story takes place, he's been on this drug for quite a long time, and he meets, uh, through a mutual friend, a shaman who tells him that there's disastrous effects that are going to come to light for this drug and he's in big trouble. But he also asks this young physicist if he will help him uh, look into or investigate a, a drug that is being um, distributed by a company that's trying to buy his mother's pharmaceutical company. And would he help him make some connections there because he thinks that the drug is tainted. And so um, our young protagonist Noah has already two issues that he has to deal with his own drug and trying to help this shaman and at the same time his dying grandmother tells him that there is a ghost hovering who wants um, to have a well? the grandmother tells him about a crime that was committed on the night of a pogrom in Russia in 1918 so this ghost has come forward in time Uh, to try to get retribution for this crime that the family has committed, and she tells Noah that it's his job to right the wrong. So all of these things can converge, and uh, that uh, propels the plot forward for synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints. Um, It is a story that has a lot of physics, um, concerns the subjects of mental illness, and uh African indigenous beliefs all kind of rolled into one, so what propelled me to write this crazy story? One might ask mm-hmm. um, so i I was dealing with um it's a very dark uh time in in my life trying to help a family member who had bipolar disorder there's bipolar disorder runs uh, through my family um, and uh In this case, this um, family member was having a very difficult time, and I was at my wits' end uh, to try to help them. Uh, Conventional drugs and therapy did not seem to um, take. And so I read an alternative medicine book, and in that book was um, just a couple of paragraphs about an African shaman whose name is Dr. Maladoma Sommet. And Dr. Sommet took an 18-year-old bipolar patient to live with his tribe in Africa because the beliefs of his tribe, which is the Dagara tribe in Burkina Faso, they believe that anyone with a mental illness is actually a they're a gateway to the spirit world they are people that are trying to bring the messages through to us but we don't understand those messages so instead of looking at someone with mental illness as somebody that should be reviled and kept apart from society they looked they look at those people as somebody who should be revered and someone we can learn from so i was very moved by that story um doctor the the young gentleman that he took to live with him in Africa came back to the United States because he had seen himself differently he came back and felt whole and he graduated from medical school at Harvard so wow. i just found all of all of that fascinating and that led me on a journey to i read uh, Dr. Somme's works he's written a couple of books that are fantastic and one of them is called of water and the spirit and you know, it's about African indigenous beliefs. And then I found that Dr. Somme would actually be leading uh, a weekend workshop about three hours north of me in Santa Barbara. And it was just coincidence. It was a synchronicity that he would be so close at the time I actually, you know, happened to look online. So I uh, went to Santa Barbara. I spent a weekend with him. Uh, learning more uh, of of his beliefs. And that led to me spending a week with him and 12 of his shamans in the making. These were all um, people of various ages and backgrounds who felt that they had a shaman in them that was going to be born. And so I was allowed to spend a week with them in the Oregon woods, and I learned um, indigenous ritual, and uh, steeped myself more in those beliefs and precepts. And all of that led to the writing of this book, Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints.
0: Wow. I think that this would be a really good point to get some definitions because not everybody knows what, how they would define what a shaman is. And I think this would be a great place for you to tell us what a shaman is for those that
1: don't know yeah so a shaman sounds very you know mystical or magical and and really all all it is um, you know is uh, someone who is very learned um, in in you know and and comes from a background of indigenous culture so it is not unusual you know there's indigenous cultures um, all over the world you know we have American Indians uh, here so there's you know there's shamans there's shamans in you know mexican uh culture uh, aztec culture uh shamans in you know n- you know all over the continent of, of africa uh in different tribal cultures it's just another word for learned um learned person or healer so that's that's a shaman now in the case of dr maladomas so who was a shaman he was also a, a a doctor who had two doctorates. He had a doctorate from Brandeis University and one from the Sorbonne. So he was a very learned man. But um in his uh he's an elder of his tribe and uh so he would be referred to as a shaman. But it it's you know, it's not mystical. It's just um it's just what we would call a learned man, you know, from, from that culture if that if that makes sense.
0: It does, and I guess I guess just to follow that up, just really briefly, does a shaman <clears throat> identify? First of all, are men only shamans, or can women be shamans?
1: Um, I am sure that women are shamans. Yes, there are okay. women that are shamans. Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess in following up with that, is that is that something you self-identify, or is that something that someone says? No,
1: no, is, no, I. Sh- I am not a shaman. No, I'm not a no, shaman. No, no, I, I would never. You. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean you personally.
0: I just meant when someone oh, is considered can a someone. shaman. Yes. Yes. When someone is considered yes. a shaman, are they identifying themselves or has somebody identified them?
1: I, you know what? I, my guess is, Marcia, that it's both. There are okay. people like some of the people that showed up that wanted to learn. I think they self-identified Mm As that, and wanted to become fully fledged shamans because they self-identify that way. But I think that there are also instances of people where someone says, "You know, I see you, and I think you're a shaman." And you know, I mean, another shaman might Mm -hmm. say to that person, "I, Mm -hmm. I see you," and that they might pursue that course of study as as a result. But um, in no way do I do I want people to think i'm i'm not an expert in shamans. Oh, no. i just you know so oh,
0: no i'm sorry yeah. i didn't mean to mislead you oh, by no that no no you you
1: didn't do you didn't do anything okay. i just wanted to say if there's anybody out there that goes you know i think she's wrong send me a note <laughs> if you <get laughs> something further please let me know because i can always oh, learn
0: well and you know what and part of part of what happens every week for me is what you just said it's the learning, which is why right. I like to ask those defining glossary terms because what might seem so obvious to someone, yourself, or any guest that I've ever had, it's that's those those are internal words that have a significance and have a specific meaning to you that speaks right. to you. But someone else listening might go, gee, I don't, I don't really know what that means. So, and, and,
1: That's and,
0: great, yeah. You know, really, I, I, I love that. I, I'm a, I'm a, I ask a lot of questions. probably makes me for a good podcaster. But I yes. also ask a lot of clarifying questions so that when I'm listening to you, I'm able to, in some ways, repeat back what you said so that I understand and you understand that, I, that I've gotten that correctly. So with that in mind... I thought it would be really kind of cool for you to define what you we talked about synchronicities, but I think it would be really great to know how how do you define the word synchronicity
1: yeah so um i you know when when i when I was researching the book and and um by the way before uh or in the early stages of, of crafting the novel, I did not realize that synchronicities was actually a study within physics. So, and I only mention that now because I, it, there was a lot of stuff for me to read about synchronicities. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to read. And so I read a definition at one point that I really, that really stuck with me. And this is kind of the way I would describe it uh, succinctly. But synchronicity marks the points at which the personal and the transcendent come together in each of our lives. So what does that mean, really? So maybe there's, you know, some coincidences that might happen to you in your day, and you think, wow, isn't that interesting? So, for instance, there there was a little bit of that in our conversation just earlier where – you know, we both discovered that we had mothers that needle and that neither of us were very talented in sewing. Um, and, and there were other things that we found in our backgrounds as we talked prior to today that was just kind of like, huh, isn't that interesting? So you start to wonder, you know, why did these two people come together? And here are the things they had in common. These were all synchronicities. So in your daily life, there are always synchronicities happening. Um, So, for instance, let's say I'm looking, you know, I'll make up some stuff. I'm looking out the window and a bird uh, lands on a branch outside my window. And it's, you know, it's no big deal. The bird is sitting there. I just happen to glance at it and uh, I, I move on with my day. And maybe an hour later, somebody sends me an email and says, you know, I am looking at the most beautiful bird that is right outside my window, and it's red, and you're going, oh, my God, I just saw that bird. And even though, you know, I am miles apart from where that person might be. So that might be something that would be a synchronicity. It's something happens, two things that are a causal. They really have nothing to do with each other. There's no reason that they should line up, but you give it your own meaning, and therefore, you line it up, and it's a synchronicity. Did, does that make sense what I just said?
0: It, it, it does, and like I said, I once again, I can relate to what you're saying. I remember when my mother was still alive, and hummingbirds would come in the backyard. And I would always think about my mom, because she would say, you know, hummingbirds never stop. They They, they don't stop. And I thought... Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I thought they did. Years later, I mean, we're talking decades later, I have my own home. I have a beautiful fountain in my backyard. I, have, I, I don't have um, nectar hummingbird feeders because I have beautiful landscape that the hummingbirds love. But every time a hummingbird, and I've used the word in quotes, parks on a branch, on the fountain on the telephone wire, wherever, I think, huh, that's my mom. My mm-hmm. mom has just come for a visit, and she wants to remind me. Oops, I guess they do stop. And I, there is never a time when I don't think of my mom and kind of chuckle about this parked, as I say, um, hummingbird. And it, it, it brings her to me. I have the of same course. thing. I have the same thing with other experiences. I have it with music. I have it uh-huh. with music. My son and I could be f- driving to the cemetery, and Fleetwood Mac would come on, and we would both look at each other and go, "Oh my God!" You know. Right. So if that's what synchronicity means. Boy, do I get it, and I think that it's just so great that you defined it the way you did because if you are aware of your surroundings, however that might be, um, that lets you know that you are part of that synchronicity. It mar- and I want to re-say it because I loved how you, you defined it. You said it marks a point where the person, did you say transcends?
1: That- the personal and the transcendent come together.
0: And the personal and the transcendent comes together. Right. And, so um, it's, it's your, yeah, whatever is personal to you.
1: Yeah. Whatever yeah. is personal to you. Well, you're going to love this, Marcia, because this is so crazy to me in your description of the hummingbird and uh, your mother. So <laughs> we we have a lot of coincidence going on Uh in the dream stitcher, one of the central uh, symbols and kind of the connector in time, but the, in the current time and the past, was a hummingbird. <laughs>
0: okay, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it. You two can play this game. It's not limited just to the two of us. But, you know, <laughs> when you and I were talking prior to, to doing this show together, it was like Marsha. Please, do not be concerned about whether or not we can fill an hour. We could probably (laughs) fill two hours together. Because as we discover, and that is the beauty of doing what I do. This is what I say to people. Doing this show every week is like putting gas in my tank. It fills me up. I get something out of this. And when we connect with other humans, on positivity which is what we need today in the world and we recognize with willingness that we are all related in some way when I say conversations plus connections equals community that isn't by accident that's really right. true and and I think that there's no doubt that you and I absolutely relate to this so when we talk about synchronicities, and you had mentioned, you know, bipolar and, and shamans and all of that, um, has synchronicities actually played another role in your life personally?
1: Well, sure, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I am um, aware of them, and I, I think they probably play a role. Did they play a role in my life prior to the writing of this book? No, I'm going to guess they didn't, although I started to become aware of them. And in many ways, my journey around, um, you know, finding this paragraph in a book about this shaman and then meeting the shaman and then doing things that he told me to do to stay on a path that helped not only my family member, but me individually and helped open up a pathway for me to write all of those things. Felt like synchronicities. So, it, it, through the the research of the book, I you know they mentioned I wrote a lot. Of, I read a lot of physics books and some of them that specifically dealt with synchronicities. And so I'm aware of them, and I just happen to jot them down. So uh, my protagonist in the book is tracking synchronicities, and he jots them down. He has a synchronicity journal. Um, so he that's one of his things that he does in the book. And in real life, that's what I do. I, I jot them down. So I'm, I'll be jotting down hummingbirds and marsha and needlepoint and and she could She can't sew. All of that. All of that will be in my yes. synchronicity journal. But you know they're really fascinating. So you know synchronicities was also it was an area for Carl Jung. Uh, Carl Jung, the um, you know uh, psychologist, and and uh, was would key in on synchronicities uh, because he felt that uh, they were, you know, that you could learn a lot and people could learn a lot by. By tracking them as well, and there's hmm. physicists, as I mentioned, that study uh, the, fring- the frequency of synchronicities uh, and you know the category of synchronicities. There's color synchronicities and number synchronicities and date synchronicities. There's all there's all kinds that they have categorized. So I just I just find them very interesting. It um, is yes yeah so that I mean that's that's the only role that they've played in my life. you know I mean i don't I don't look for you know I'm not sitting here looking for a sign to figure right. out whether I want chicken or fish for dinner, but I you know I just <laughs> note them when they when they happen to me, so
0: What I think is so interesting, and maybe others that are listening that really never thought about it so much, is I would have never thought of putting synchronicity and physics. On the same line, because I right. think of physics as science, and I think of synchronicities as feelings and and so I find that really interesting and I but imagine for those of you that are listening that like to delve into things more deeply, people are going to be googling this all over the place now, and I, I yeah. find that so so interesting to me truly well
1: i i found it interesting too because as i said i i did not know that before i started doing research for the book i also thought that synchronicity is where you know it's a coincidence and isn't you know that's cool but no um it's actually an area of study and i think you know as you delve into it and uh, there's uh, it's because the the quantum field um, of physics It's studying all kinds of things to see if they can, you know, figure out how the world really works. So are these things that happen, are they actually coincidences? Or is there a reason in the quantum field that they are happening? So that's kind of where the personal and the transcendent come together. There are things in our physical world that also seem like that couldn't possibly be. But I'm telling you there's more there's there's more crazy stuff that's real than not. so uh, and yeah. for whatever reasons, I'm just wired to kind of enjoy delving into those kinds of things.
0: Let's define one more word here. okay. and we I think we all know what personal means, but let's define what you mean by transcendence.
1: huh, so, uh, transcendent um, for me is you know well I mean transcendent kind of means you know it's 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 close to God or spirit you know whatever you want to call it okay. you call it God or you call it spirit but it's 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 something bigger than ourselves it's something we can't necessarily make sense of by ourselves so we're looking for um, a much larger order an implicate order. Uh, there, there must, you know, if there is an implicate order, whatever divined that, that's, that's what transcendence is. Got it. Excellent. Did I help Thanks. or did I make it worse? <laughs> no,
0: no, 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 uh-uh. Um, no, you didn't make it worse. I'm curious, you know, um, so you mentioned that you were in a, in a very, very successful um, family business, and I know you went to the University of... Washington and St. Louis, and um, did you, how do you think your business background sort of prepared you to write this story?
1: Yeah, well, the, the protagonist, there's two protagonists in the story. The main one is Noah, the physicist, but his mother, Sally, is a businesswoman and uh, she runs her own company that she and is looking at possibly selling it to this corporation the corporation i mentioned that's kind of nefarious and um so i think my own business experiences um certainly helped in that regard and probably you know in some small way i mean sally is not me she's not me she's not much like me i don't think um but she was probably like me you know back in the day when when i was doing that so some of me wound up in the book i'm sure uh, but mm-hmm. it certainly informed it informed uh, her character uh Got so it. i think my business background you know helped me in that way but you know also just um i don't know in a, in a way the discipline that i had to have to run a large company and and being used to the fact that things would be very messy until you uh, figured out how to get out of the mess, you know, there's always that in in, uh, in large corporate experience. And so I think all of that prepares you to. Um, number one, I was happy to sit in a room by myself after that experience. It was too many people, so so that prepared mm-hmm. me. And then I didn't mind uh, sitting for a very long time until i could make my messy story into something that made sense. so i don't know. i mean maybe maybe that was partly my business discipline that helped me or maybe that's just, you know, who i wound up being. i'm not sure.
0: it's interesting because you mentioned journaling and i suspect that that's probably something do that you that you do. do are you are you somebody that does journal a lot?
1: well yeah i mean i think i think most writers do journal you know even if it's just a few minutes a day just just to kind of uh clear the cobwebs and see you know what's what's going on in your world and kind of settle down it's a form of it's a form of meditation in a way to journal and and get that stuff out of your system before you're Mm -hmm. sitting down to write
0: out of your head onto the paper right i i would agree um so that's, that's that's you you've, you've lived a very interesting life and um i think that your family stories probably play a role in the themes in this book right
1: yeah so um yeah so this is the, it, well one of my motivations or one of the things i i uh wanted to do in the writing of this book. So I mentioned in the dream stitcher, that was kind of my mother's story, was, you know, why why did she write, or why did she needlepoint that tapestry? Uh-huh. In this book, I was grappling um, with a mystery that I've always wondered about in my life. So when my father was five, he um, was living in a little, in the shtetl in Russia, little tiny village, Yampala. The of Russia. and um, there was a pogrom the Cossacks came in and they killed all of the male Jews in the village and the only male Jew to survive the village was my father and he survived because my mother my I'm sorry my grandmother hid him in the house of a crazy woman and She felt that the Cossacks wouldn't go into the house of the crazy woman because everyone knew this woman was crazy, and she put a hex on them. And my grandmother was right. So my father survived this pogrom. And I always wondered who this woman was. Who was she? I never knew her name. I've never known anything about her. She was always this mystery. And so I wanted to explore who this woman was, and she became a character in Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints. She's the character of Hadassah, um, this ghost from 1918 who comes forward in time. And it gave me a chance to just explore perhaps what that woman might have been like. And in a way, at least mystically, it was a way for me to thank her. It was a way for me to say, I remember you, and I thank you, and I honor you for what you did for me.
0: That is, that's a remarkable story, and it's particularly timely right now with Passover coming up at the end of the week. Um, yeah, that's
1: interesting. Well, so, yeah, so it it was a release for me, you know. Again, I mm-hmm. didn't. Um, I'll never learn who she was, but. I'm just hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping she gets yeah. the message. And, really. you know, when you write, it's such a crazy process of writing, but you you start to create these characters and then the characters visit you. They, you know, they wake me up in the middle of the night or they um, would be in my writing space as I would be writing. And Hadassah was this very strong character for me. And so I'd have these conversations where she would tell me how she wanted her story told, and I wow. would get to tell her how I thanked her for for having saved my father. And it was just a it was just a huge uh, release for me. So mm-hmm. there was a lot uh, of release in the writing of this book, both um, not only just the creation of Hadassah, but the 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 letting go of. Uh, knowing that my family member who had mental illness would be fine. And it was a letting go on my part to say, you know what? You're not in charge. The universe is. This person will be fine. And here's your opportunity to let that go and help some other people that might be dealing with that issue as well. That's really great. So that that leads me to say that that is, you know, one of the things that, uh was motivating for me in the writing of the book i f- i feel that people the family members that are dealing with mental illness mental illness might be happening to an individual but it becomes a family disease and so the family blames you blame yourself for what did you do what did you do that made this person ill what did you know did you not raise them correctly did you did you say the wrong things did you put too much stress you know you come up with all of these worries of how you contributed, and um, the truth is, we come into this world the way we're meant to be, and we, you know, we can move through and become healthy um, with the right, with the right help, with the right combination of drugs and therapy, and the right support of knowing that it's going to be okay. So, at any anyway, rate, I kind of went on five tangents there, but there you go. That's okay.
0: That's okay. I I, I don't mind that because this is a conversation. This isn't a test. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that before. Wow, but it's true. So, um, why do you think that this is relevant now? Do you, do you see the connection to What you just talked about and the world that we live in today
1: yeah well i do and um you know honestly i'm i'm i don't know that my book can help the world today but i would like to believe in some very very small way um so you know for me the book is a metaphor i i believe we live in a bipolar world i think we're a world of you know it's our society is greatly divided uh, we're greatly divided, you know, politically and um, through, you know, um, racial discrimination and, uh, you know, people that, the haves and the have-nots, there's this bipolarity that is very troubling. And so, um, for me, the book is a bit of a metaphor around um, how we might take indigenous beliefs, join it to, modernity to the world of concrete and wire and steel and maybe if we embraced those very old beliefs that are in our bones we might be able to heal our society so that is that is my wish with this book and you know I don't know that other people will get that if they read it but that's kind of the underlying thoughts is that we can we can help to heal the world by combining old beliefs that have been with us since the dawn of time with our modern society and become wiser as a result of it.
0: That's beautifully said. Um, Wow. I, I do want people to know that you do have a website and I'm going to spell your name so that people aren't wondering how to do that although it will be on my website and it will be on all my social media. But Deborah's name is spelled, and it's the www dot Deborah. That's D E B O R A H G A A L dot com. And if you um, go to Deborah's site, Debbie as I call her, you can actually see the the book covers of both of those um, books. And let me ask you something. I'm just curious. I'm looking at the dream stitcher, and I'm looking at the person with the sword in his hand on the horse. Is that is that the tapestry? Is that yeah, that's the Bayou-
1: of- <gasps> yeah, that's the Bayou Tapestry, yes.
0: Wow. So your mother did that on that 6 foot by 15 foot. That's what your mother did in needlepoint.
1: Correct, yes. Yes, yeah, she she recreated excerpts. Yeah, it was really quite something. <laughs> oh,
0: I guess. Oh my gosh, that's really that's really cool. So I would recommend that you check out. And also, you make it very simple for those of you that are listening and thinking, I need to buy this book. Right below the picture. Um, is uh, um, our favorite place to shop lately, which is Amazon. And you can just simply go to Amazon and pick up the book very simply. In the few yeah. remaining moments But, but let have... me
1: also say that if somebody prefers to buy it from an independent bookstore, they can absolutely do that as well and just call your independent bookstore and they can get it for you. So wherever you want to buy it.
0: And you know something? I'm really glad you said that because right here in Westchester we have opened up a bookstore called the Crown Jewel Bookstore, and they carry books, and I am in favor of supporting our local independent bookstore. So I appreciate you saying that as well. Mm
1: -hmm. In these
0: last couple of moments, we discovered that there's another thing that we have in common only in that I say the subject and the people. You are a lawn bowler. In fact, you mentioned to me that you went lawn bowling this morning before we did this radio show. And we have, I did a show all about, in fact, I've done two shows about lawn bowling. And some of them included your friends in Orange County. And right. for people that don't know what lawn bowling is, and some might not, you know, it's, it's it's not like setting up, um, you know, a bocce ball. You want to tell people what lawn bowling is?
1: Yeah, so lawn bowling is great fun, and if you happen, you know, if you're listening to this and you happen to li- live in Southern California, you can lawn bowl. There's there's lawn bowling in other parts, but you know, it's uh, it's very active in Southern Cal. But any anyway, rate, it's uh you know, you're, you, there's a little white ball called a jack, and you try to get to to be the closest to the jack by by um, rolling an elliptical bowl, they're called bowls rather than balls, they're elliptical and they're weighted. And so you're actually throwing it, it moves in a curve and you're trying to get right next to this little white ball. So there's actually, it's a very Zen sport because it's about isometrics and, you know, slow movements and having to get low to the earth so i find it very zen and because of that zenness it's just a great uh it's it's a great way to really settle your mind and feel that you did something meditative while you're outside in the sunshine and you're getting exercise it's um it's isometrically um i mean it's very taxing so you get a great workout even though it doesn't look like it but um i love the sport it's very social you're, you know, you're on the green with one person or, or, or you know, uh, on your side of the green, and so you get to have a conversation, and you're trying to improve um, your skills, but you're also just just forgetting about anything else. You're just in that moment. It's just, I, I love it. It's just a great release. So you should all lawn bowl. It's very healthy yeah, for cool. you.
0: And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, we both live in Southern California, but I I know from talking with Scott and Linda when they were on my show, when I was still in the studio, so that was well over three years ago, um, there is an actual movement, there's an actual placement of your feet, but it's oh, also, yeah. there, but, but you can be living in St. Louis where you're from or Michigan where I have family members, and granted, weather will play a part in that. You're not going to lawn bowl in the snow. But um, it's played across the country, and it's also international. Am I right? Is it not an international sport?
1: Oh, yeah. No, no. There's Well, yeah, it's all over the world. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very, very old sport that I think it dates back, you know, and started in China, you know, forever ago, but became very popular during – uh, Henry VIII's reign, he loved lawn bowling, and so anywhere the you know British flag flew, lawn bowling took hold. So it's very, very popular. Um, Scotland and England and and Australia, and New Zealand, you know those are those are naturals. Um, but you know all over, uh, every practically every country uh, is active in lawn bowling. Um, you just you just need a, a rink, and uh, buy, you know buying into the sport is easy because lawn bowls are not that expensive, and so anybody can play. But it's it's a, a lovely sport and great fun. If you liked watching curling in the Olympics, did you watch yes. curling?
0: Yes. Okay,
1: so curling was started by lawn bowlers in Scotland who didn't want to stop. lawn bowling in the winter so they started curling because they didn't have their green. So curling and lawn bowling are very similar in in many respects even though it's never, you know, it's not compared to curling that often.
0: I remember now, as I think back when you were describing this, it's kind of like that. There's a term called "closest to the pin" in golf, right? Um, and sometimes the, the the deal is depending upon where you set, where you where you set, how you release, and where you are in the rotation, you may apt to bump another um, ball out of the way with your bowl, so that you are then closer. And because it's, it's, there's points, you, 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 it's, it's, it's a point game. And I remember, depending upon how you stood and how you released, just like in bowling in a bowling alley, you know, where you start, where you, th- where you throw your ball, bowling ball, how you release it. You know, you're not putting things. This is not a bowling, like you said, it's not a ball. I mean, it's not, it's, it, it, it's, it's, about, the, it's about the size, if I remember right, is it about the size of a softball?
1: No, no, it's it's
0: closer. I mean,
1: it's probably More halfway like a, between a softball and a bowling ball.
0: Okay, all right, okay. So it's it's really interesting. I I suggest that if this if you're bored and you're looking for something to do, you might want to look that up as well. Because it's great um, fun. It's great fun. Okay, so I got to ask you before we say goodbye. Are you right? Do you have another books in the work?
1: I do, and one of the characters is a lawn bowler, so oh, I'll leave God. it at that. <laughs> that's
0: so cool. See the segues? You know, there was a reason that there's a word called segue. It just takes us serendipitously e- through absolutely. Um, um, synchronous, not serendipitously, because that's the word I tried to say on Facebook Live, and I realized that was not the word I wanted to say. I wanted right. to say it's
1: synchronicity. It's synchronous, See? yes. It's
0: synchronous. It's, it is synchronous. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's what's happened between you and I. Um, as okay. you said, you, there really are no coincidence. And um, I just think that this hour flew, and I knew that it would. And it's yeah. just it's been, as you use the word dream, this has been a dream as well, to just share this time with you, Debbie, and to uh-huh. let our listeners know where your passions lie and what's important to you. And I just, I just want to thank you so very, very much for, for joining me today.
1: Well, and I thank you. I enjoyed it so much, Marcia. Thank you.
0: You're so welcome. And everybody, I just want you to know that doesn't mean I don't have an episode next week with another fascinating woman. Oh, my gosh. This woman's name is Christy Gardner. And she is the founder and president of Working Mission Dogs, and when you hear why she has this nonprofit about her background and the fact that she is a paraplegic and what she has done with her life as an athlete and as someone that has um, a community that, that does things to support dogs that can help others, it's a tremendous story, and Christy will be with me next week. So for all of you listening out there, thank you once again. Thank you for your continued support. Tell your friends because each week there is just one outstanding guest after another just like Debbie was today. Thank you so much again, Debbie, for joining me.
1: Thank you. Okay,
0: everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now.